Hey, uh, just want to take a moment, welcome our other uh, campuses that are joining us, uh, our Santan campus, the Scottsdale campus, and then our five o'clock service. And man, just so thrilled to have you guys be part of this and everything that God's doing at Cornerstone right now. If you were here last week, uh, you know that we started a brand new series that's called What's in Your Bag? And chances are you may have caught on that bag became metaphor for your life. So what are the essential things that you're putting into your life and you just take with you everywhere you go because they are priority and they're important to have with you? And so last week we started with this idea of salvation and just said, look, this is probably the most important item you'll ever put in your bag is this relationship with Jesus Christ. It's figuring this thing out and understanding that it's about finally putting your faith and trust in a Savior and actually living a new life, becoming a new person in Christ. And so hopefully, uh, tons of us came to understand that last week. Some of us would say, well, hey, Lynn, we already knew that, and we know, but the idea is you should be able to explain it. You should be able to express to somebody else who comes and says, hey, what is this Jesus thing, and what is that about, and what does it mean to actually move into a relationship of faith and trust and actually experience Jesus Christ? And so hopefully last week laid groundwork for you to be able to express that to friends and neighbors and explain it to your kids someday. And so we started with salvation. Today, the thing we're going to uh, suggest that every one of us needs in our backpack, in our life, is something that identifies us as being a Christ follower. Something that just declares to everybody around us, no, I am, I'm, I'm one of them. I, I actually believe this stuff and I'm, I'm staking my life and more than that, I'm staking eternity on it. I, I'm in on this Jesus conversation and it's okay for you to know that about me. I'm willing to go bold, I'm willing to go public, I'm willing to declare that I am a Christ follower. And what we're going to suggest today is that your and my willingness to go public is absolutely critical. This is not optional. It's essential that every single one of us who names the name of Jesus be willing to go out loud with our faith. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, go with me because there's a passage that I think just really unpacks this for us and explains why this is essential to have in our bag, essential that being public about our faith is core to how we live our lives. So it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And, and look, here's the deal. Is it, well, let me tell you how to get there first. If, if, you're, if you're not familiar, if you'll go to the back of your Bible and then work to the left, you're going to find uh, this book of 2 Corinthians. Back of Bible, works, work to your left. But as we're getting there, let, let me just say this out loud. Most of the time, when you and I are having conversations together, we try to take steps. We try to take the time to help you get to the conclusion and, and give you lots of time to process that answer and get there with us. Today, because of time and because there's so many things that we just need to say really, really clearly, we're, we're going to just kind of get to the point. We're going to say the things out loud. And I, pro I promise you, there's going to be some people in the room and, and the clarity with which we're saying it and, and the boldness with which we're saying some of the things we're going to say, that you're going you're to struggle a little bit. You're going to go, wow, I don't know, and I'm not sure I, I agree with that at this point. And that's okay. That's okay. But here's my challenge to you. If you get rubbed a little bit today, before you get too frustrated, before you go, hey, I don't think I like that, would you take the time to go back and explore Scripture? Would you take time to go back and say, is that what Jesus really said about that topic? 
Because all I'm going to say to you is I'm absolutely confident that everything you're going to hear today, when you take a look, it's going to be exactly reflective of what Jesus taught. Okay? So go back and do the research for yourself if something kind of pushes on you uh, just a little bit. Here we go. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is why it is so critical for you and I to go public about our faith. Here it is, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. Here's what it says. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone. So what it's saying here is, look, this decision, this, this faith step of allowing Jesus Christ to be your Savior causes a radical transformation within us. This is not an ascent to a system of thoughts. This is a life-changing relationship that once you make that decision to allow Jesus Christ into your life, you will never be the same because God begins to transform you and I into a new creation. Matter of fact, all the time when I'm sitting down with someone and explaining to them how to be a Christian and how to take that step of deciding to invite Jesus in their life to forgive their sins, I say to them before we do the prayer together, I say, look, 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 you need to consider this before you do it because if you do this, this is a forever changing decision because once God gets a hold of your life, you will be different. Scripture calls it a new creation. Here we go. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Now, let's unpack this for a minute. It starts out by saying, now that you and I are in Christ, now, now that you and I have made this decision of faith, now that you and I have decided to allow him to be our savior, that put us in Christ. And you and I are forever different for having made that decision. But, but get ready. If someone can be in Christ, then logic only follows that someone can be out of Christ. And if the way to get in Christ is to put my faith and belief in him, then anybody who hasn't come to that place of faith and belief would be out of Christ. If I'm in Christ, I have every right to expect heaven. I have every right to believe that God's going to be true to his promises and do exactly for me what he said he was going to do. But if I'm out of Christ... There is no promise of heaven. Matter of fact, being out of Christ means an eternity without God. And, and let's just say it out loud. Being out of Christ means eternity in hell. And this is exactly what Jesus taught when he said, hey, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish in Christ, but have eternal life. But then Jesus goes on to say, but he who does not believe 
is condemned already. Now, this is a big deal. Because, because, because. If you and I were to line up a hundred of our neighbors and friends and co-workers, and you and I were to say to them, hey, uh, when you die, are you expecting to go to heaven? And out of the hundred friends and neighbors, almost everyone would say, well, yeah, of course I am. I'm, I'm planning on going to heaven. And then the second question, how? Why? Why are you expecting to go to heaven? And the vast, 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 vast majority of them would say to you and me, because I'm a good person. Notice what they didn't say. Because I'm in Christ. Because I've accepted him as my savior. See, my plan is I'm going to do enough good things that God is going to eventually accept me. So it works, it works kind of like this. Every one of your friends and my friends, every one of our co-workers and our relatives would, would, would admit out loud and they'd say, look, I know. I know I've got some ill-lived moments. I know there's some moments I did exactly what God said not to do. I know there's some things I've done that was completely contrary to Scripture. I, no, I get it. And they would possibly even be willing to admit that those ill-lived moments are exactly what the Bible calls sin. And they would say, no, I, no, I mean, I do, because everybody does. I mean, everybody's got that in their life. But what I'm hoping is that I've got enough well-lived moments, that I've done enough good things to kind of counterbalance it. And that because, you know, I've gone to church, or maybe I was baptized as a, as a baby, or maybe because I made it through catechism, or because I helped a little old lady across the street, and, you know, I gave to charity last year, whatever those things are that I've done good, that somehow this will balance it out. Here's the problem. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Matter of fact, in the Gospel of John, just as Jesus is starting his ministry, a man by the name of Nicodemus comes to him. Now, you've got to get who Nicodemus is. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. And so often we think, oh, Pharisee, that means hypocrite. That's not Pharisees were the best of the best. Pharisees were the strictest rule followers. Are you ready for this? The goodest good people around. They tithed. They went to church every single Sunday. They ate all the right diets from the Jewish customs. They held to the Sabbath and didn't work on the Sabbath. I mean, these guys are good people. And Nicodemus, you ready, is not only a Pharisee, he's actually part of the ruling Sanhedrin, which means basically he's a big-time pastor. And yet in the midst of his goodness, and, and you've got to get this, if this is Mother Teresa, this is Nicodemus. This is the rest of us. This guy is good. He's gooder than good. And yet in the midst of his goodness, in the midst of accumulating his pile of good deeds, Deep down in his heart, he knows there's something not quite right. He's heard enough of the teachings of Jesus. He's sat on the edge long enough, and he realizes Jesus is talking about something that he hasn't figured out yet. And he doesn't dare ask the question publicly, so he comes to Jesus by night, and he says, Jesus, look, I'm just, I'm just trying to figure this out because what you're describing, I don't have. And so listen to the question he asks. What must I do to be saved? 
He, he always saying, says, Jesus, look, apparently, apparently there must be some good thing I haven't figured out. Apparently there's one more thing that I need to add to the pile in order for this to work. To which Jesus says, Nicodemus, you got it all wrong. You must be born again. Remember the passage? Anybody who is in Christ is a new creation. What Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, look, this isn't something you do on the outside. This is something God does on the inside of you. You can keep piling these up and you will never be changed. You'll never be transformed. It's something you've got to invite God to do in you. This is a big deal. Because the answer is, you ready? Good people don't go to heaven. And that's what our friends are counting on. That's what your coworkers have been thinking. This is what your neighbor believes. And good people don't go to heaven. Matter of fact, guys, this is why Every man-made religion has it wrong. I mean, if you stop and think about it, if you stop and think about, hey, what do Buddhists teach and what do Muslims teach and what do Hindus teach, you realize that every one of them comes back with a, a religious system and says, if you keep our rules, then you will accumulate enough good brownie points with God and God will eventually let you into heaven. And you just need to know that the moment you hear anybody say to you, follow my rules and you, get, you know it's man-made and it did not come from God. Matter of fact, the scariest ones are the ones that mention Jesus but still want you to follow rules. It's the problem with Mormons. See, Mormons will talk about Jesus and you and I go, oh, they're such good people. But at the end, the plan within Mormonism is do our rules, be a good person, and you will earn heaven. It's the problem with Jehovah Witnesses that although they mention Jesus Christ, at the end of the day, when you get to the bottom of it, it is follow the rules of Jehovah Witnesses and you get to go to heaven. It is always the identifying mark. And the reality is some of us in this room have been around religion and we thought, hey, if I got baptized as a baby or maybe if I went to catechism or if I, if I helped enough little old ladies across the street that somehow I would pile up enough good stuff and listen to the words of Jesus. Good people don't go to heaven. So you go, well, wait, 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 because you're, you're, you're tipping my world up. So how does this work? How, how, how do people get to heaven? Go back to the passage. It's verse 18. Here's what it says. And all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself. Now, you got to get that word reconciled. That, that, that word is where the whole conversation changes. And reconciled is actually an accounting term. It means to go into completely messed up books and figure out how to get all the debits and all the assets to line up and reconcile. And you go, well, Lynn, whoa, 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 whoa. That sounds like this. You know, you got to get enough of this to reconcile that. No, 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 no. See if this helps. I want you to imagine that we get done with service today, and uh, I come up to you and I say, hey, can I borrow uh, your cell phone? 
And uh, you have to pause and think for a second because you've got an iPhone 6. And uh, you're going, well, you know, it's the pastor, so, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I should. And so you hand me your, your uh, iPhone, and I get on, and about an hour and a half later, after I get done talking to India, uh, you go, hey, you know, hey, can I uh, have my cell phone back? And, and I say, well, you know, I've actually got some more services today, so, you know, I was kind of thinking about, you know, just kind of hanging on to it for a while, see if maybe someone needs to call me, you know, whatever I'm going to do. And as you watch me... You're going, hey, what were you doing? Why were you being so reckless? Why, why were you tossing it around? And I go, well, you were just being uptight. You were, you know, I mean, you know, you got to get over it. And you go, no, I don't. You dropped it. And now it's broken. Isn't that exactly what we do with Jesus? See, don't we go, hey, wait, wait, this is my life, and Jesus is going, hey, well, well, no, you can't treat it that casually, and actually there's some prescriptions in the Bible and some things that I'm trying to help you with, and we go, why are you so uptight, God? And then we break it. Now, here's the problem. All too many of us have got caught up in what I call easy forgiveness. See, we think that at that moment, God just goes, ah, it's okay. It didn't matter. Would you do that with your iPhone? See, here's the problem with forgiveness. When I break your iPhone, somebody's got to replace it. Somebody's got to pay to fix it, which is exactly what Jesus is trying to tell us right here. He says, when that moment came, when you and I went to God, and when we say to God, hey, I'm sorry, I can't pay for it. That's why I borrowed it. And when you and I come to Jesus, we got to be willing to acknowledge and say, look, you know, that sin that I did, I can't pay for that. You ready? There aren't enough good things I can do to make up for this. It's why I need the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus paid for the cell phone. On the cross, Jesus paid for our sin. It's how he reconciled the books. And it's why, guys, get this, get this. It's why no faith that does not give Jesus the preeminence, it's why no faith that doesn't tell you to put your faith and trust in his death on the cross works because nobody else died for your sins. Muhammad didn't die for your sins. Joseph Smith didn't die for your sins. Buddha didn't die for your sins. Jesus reconciled us. Here's why this is a big deal. Because we've already said out loud, the vast majority of our neighbors, the vast majority of our coworkers don't understand this. And if they stay trying to be a good person, they will go into eternity outside of Christ. Because, because good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. And how do you and I help them figure this out? And I'm just going to say to you, it requires you and I going public. 
It requires you and I being willing to say, no, 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 I believe this stuff and I'm just telling you it has changed my life and I'm unashamed and I'm unapologetic about it and when you're ready to ask the question, I'm here to help you find the answer. Matter of fact, go back to the passage. Here's what it says. It's verse 19. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and that he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That Jesus said, look, look, here's the deal. I've already told this story. I've already explained this. Now I'm going. It's your job to tell everybody what I just taught you. Do you realize that Christianity is never more than one generation from extinction? All it takes is one generation going, oh, that story's not important. I don't need to be bold with my faith. I don't need to share this with anybody else. I'm going to heaven. One generation away from extinction. One generation not having the courage to go bold with the story of Jesus. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, this idea that he died for our sins and paid for them. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So how do you go bold? How do you go public? And actually, one of the simplest ways, one of the ways which Jesus prescribed right off the bat was simply say, hey, be baptized. Be baptized. Because being baptized is a public statement that you believe this stuff, that you really, really are in. Matter of fact, here's what baptism is. Baptism isn't getting saved. Baptism is what you do after you've become a Christian to publicly tell people you are one. Let me see if this explains it. When you get baptized, you're actually play-acting a mime when you, this is you, didn't finish that, okay, this is you, this is the baptistry. When you stand in the baptistry, you're standing there says, I believe Jesus lived. When the pastor puts you under the water, you're saying, I believe that Jesus died and was buried for my sins. When the pastor brings you out of the water, anybody want to guess what you're saying? I believe Jesus rose again. It's a public statement of your faith without you even having to say a word. But it says to everybody watching, I believe this stuff. Now here's what you need to know about baptism. Baptism was always for believers. In other words, baptism always happened after someone put their faith in Jesus Christ, which is why you will never find ever, ever, ever in Scripture a baby being baptized. Because there is no baby who has said, I am trusting Jesus Christ to be my Savior, and I trust that he died for my sin. No baby knows to do that. And baptism is always believer's baptism. Second thing, it is always by immersion. Remember? Lived died and was buried. And I don't know about you, but when I bury people, I put lots of dirt on them. I don't sprinkle dirt. That gets nasty. Okay? Always by immersion in order to give the testimony. 
And when you do, when you say this out loud, it becomes a public declaration, I believe this stuff, and I'm not trusting in being good, I'm trusting in the cross and Jesus reconciling me to God. You know, it's interesting because when you do this, this becomes a bold statement of faith. It really does. Matter of fact, think about this, in the early church, when they were getting baptized, the, the culture of the time was polytheistic. And so when Christians said, hey, I believe in Jesus, everybody said, oh, that's great. We've already got 67 gods, so you're just going to have 68. That's okay. But when they got baptized, and think about this, where would you find enough water to dunk somebody in? You had to go down to the river. Guess where all the cities were built? Because you don't have plumbing. By the river. So sure enough, here's these Christians going down to baptize. Here's all the women out there washing clothes and getting water for the day. And there's the Christians dunking each other. And when they do that, guess what they know? Man, those guys really believe it. And it was after they got baptized that they began to be persecuted. Because here's what they knew in that polytheistic society. They're declaring one way to God. It's interesting today in India. They'll say you can go to church in India. You, you can be faithful all you want. Nobody cares because in India they have hundreds of thousands of gods. And so they go, well, Jesus is just another one. But when a Christian in India gets baptized, guess what the Indians know? They're saying, I'm putting my faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the minute a believer becomes baptized, that's when they get beat in India because they went public. I'm going to ask you to go public. I'm going to ask anybody who's in this room and you've never openly and publicly declared your faith in Jesus Christ since you've made that decision, that in just a minute you're going to get up and walk out those doors and we're going to walk you through, we're going to help you out, and you're going to get baptized. Now, I know, look, look, I know some of you are going, well, wait, 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 wait a minute. I, I was baptized as a baby. And, and I think my parents would probably be a little frustrated if I, I, I get it. I get it. And part of that comes out of that in the culture they were in and the teaching there, and they thought they were doing something to be helpful to you. But here's the deal. Your parents, when they baptized you as a baby, were hoping that you would be a follower of Jesus Christ. Isn't this just a fulfillment of their dream and of their even if they don't understand it, isn't this just a fulfillment of what they hoped that day? And you standing up and publicly saying, I'm in Christ, would be really powerful. Now, I know some of you are going, well, wait, wait, wait. I don't have a change of clothes, and I've got leather. <laughs> and this just, this just isn't going to work, you know, maybe another day. No, 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 no. I've got T-shirts out there for you, and they're thick so that no one can see through them. I've got swim trunks for you out there. You can put them on, we'll baptize you, you take them off, put on your street clothes, you'll be dry as a bone when you get back in your car. Some of you go, Lynn, I don't have a towel. <laughs> you don't think I thought of that? <laughs> we got a towel. Some of you are going, hey, Lynn, 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 wait, wait, wait a minute, I'm not even a Christian yet. Well, no, you know what, that's the best, that's the best excuse of all, because you get being baptized doesn't make anybody a Christian. Being baptized just declares that you are one. But here's what I've got. I've got counselors out there, and you could give your heart to Jesus Christ, and then we could get you wet. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. 
okay? And we're not going to play music. We're not, you're going to do this because you decide to do it. So I'm going to ask you if you're saying, hey, you know what? I'm a believer. I've made my decision for Christ, but I've ne I have never publicly declared through baptism since I've been a believer, and I'm ready to go bold. I'm ready to go loud with my faith. Then I'm going to ask you to get up right now, head for those doors, and you're going to go to table number one. Ready, go. We've got women going out and getting their hair wet. Now, you know they believe, right? They believe they're doing that. How cool is that? So here, here's what I want to say to you real quick. In the last two services, I'm going to talk to us for a minute or two, and I want to talk to us about what it would mean to be go bold in our faith. But as we've been doing that, we've had people who were still sitting in their chair and said, man, I, I belong outside. And they just got up out of their seat and they went and headed out. So I just want to tell you that's okay. And if you're sitting here right now and your heart's still pounding and something inside you is going, man, I think I, I belong outside, then any time between now and the end of this, you just get up and go. You just go. It's okay uh, to still head on out. Here's my question, guys. Because I'm assuming the rest of us in here would say, well, then I've already openly and publicly declared my faith and, and I've done that through baptism. But here's, here's my thing. If they're willing... If, if they're willing to move this forward and to get more bold and more public and just say, this, this is who I am, what would it mean for you and I to go public? What would it mean for you and I to notch this up a notch and to make Jesus more famous and to be just that, that much less ashamed about our faith in Christ? What, what would that look like for you and me? And so I'm just going to give you a couple nudges, a couple suggestions that I want you to consider uh, based on what you've already seen. So here, here would be suggestion number one. What if you put a bumper sticker on your car? Cornerstone bumper sticker on your car. Do you realize that literally, guys, hundreds of people have come to this church because as they drove around the Southeast Valley, they saw Cornerstone bumper stickers and they said, something must be happening at that church. And then they came into the room and we had the conversation of Jesus and they discovered, that would turn you into a missionary. Just a bumper sticker on your car. Now, I know this is going to require some changes for some of us. So here, here's, the, here's kind of the guidelines. You cannot drive more than 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. You gotta pull that, it doesn't look good when the police officer's sitting behind, woo, woo, cornerstone, you know? So gotta pull that down a little bit. And no more single finger salutes, okay? Just, you can't, not with the sticker in the back, you can't do that. But guys, you could do that, right? You could, not more than 10 and no more, and, and you realize, guys, think, think about it. There are people in your neighborhood who you've never met. There are people living on your street, have no idea that you're a Christ follower. But if they saw you pulling in with that bumper sticker in your cart, they'd know, wouldn't they? And when their marriage falls apart, 
when they get laid off from their job, wouldn't it be good for them to know there's at least one person on their street that they could go knock on the door and say, I'm hurting, and you're a Christian, right? A bumper sticker would do that for you. Here's another one. What if, what if you took your Bible and set it on your desk at work? Now, Lola, I'm not asking you to read it. Well, I am, but you read it before work, okay? I'm not asking you to read it at work. I'm not asking you to take it and beat anybody up with it. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm not asking you to wear a t-shirt that says, turn or burn. I'm not asking that. I'm just saying, what if you put your Bible on your desk? Because here's the deal, look, look, let's just be honest. People notice the Bible, right? And if they walked over to your desk and it was just sitting there, they'd know. They'd know something about you without you ever saying a word. And when the darkest moment of their life comes, wouldn't it be cool if at your workplace people came up to you and just said, hey, I'm hurting. It was interesting. I had a conversation with one of our guys in our church the other day. He says, you know, I just, I just kind of try to let it be known that I go to Cornerstone, that I'm a Christ follower. I don't preach anybody. I just put it out there. He said, you can't believe the number of people at my work who've come up to me and said, can we talk after work's over? Can he just put it out there? Students, I've got, we got students in the room. Here's my challenge to you if you're a student. For two weeks, I'm gonna challenge you to carry your Bible to every class along with the rest of your school books. Because if you did that, your classmates would know, wouldn't they? They'd know who you were. I had a youth pastor challenge me in my sophomore year of high school to carry my Bible every day to school. I will tell you that McClintock High School knew where Lynn Winter stood. So I'm just asking students, two weeks. Two weeks of being bold with your faith and unapologetic about being a follower of Jesus. Don't even have to open it. Just carry it. Last one. We've got Easter coming up. And you realize Easter and Christmas are two times a year where people who are not in Christ will come sit in this room. And some of us in this room have never brought a friend. We've never held a seat and brought someone that we knew. And bringing them this year would be taking it up a notch, wouldn't it? And what if you and I made a commitment to each other and just said, hey, look, for Easter this year, and then right after Easter is Friend Day, we got Trent Dilfer coming. And guys, look, 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 look. Trent Dilfer is not the biggest name out there. He's not. He's not. But we think he may have one of the most powerful stories out there. That's why we got him. What if you and I made a covenant together to say, we're going to go loud, we're going to go bold, and none of us is going to come alone to either Easter or Friend Day this year? Between those two, we're going to find at least one to come with us. That'd be up a notch for most of us, wouldn't it? It'd be up a notch. What does it mean to you and me to be living in a world of people who think they're going to heaven by following the rules? And for you and me to know that's the wrong answer. And the Bible says, it's as if God was making his plea through us, which means you gotta go public you got to go bold. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we, we simply come to the moment 
and God, this, this is not optional equipment. This is, this is something that belongs in our backpack. It belongs in our life. Some way for people who haven't figured you out yet to identify us as being followers of Jesus Christ. And so, God, we're just going to put it out there. We're going to notch this up in our lives. We're going to stop being embarrassed and ashamed, and we're just going to go, you know, I am. I'm one of them, and I believe this with all my heart. And when you're ready, I'm identifying myself now so you'll know who to come talk to because I have some answers. God, give us the boldness. Give us the courage. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.